Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Crypto Hipster Podcast. This is your host, Jamil Hassan, the Crypto Hipster, where I interview founders, executives, entrepreneurs, musicians, artists, actors, you name it, all over the world in crypto and blockchain. And today I have an amazing guest. He is the chief executive officer of the Pillar Project. His name is Michael Masella. Michael, welcome. Hi there. Thank you for having me. Very welcome. I'm honored that you're here and uh, looking forward to this interview. And uh, let's kick things off. Um, the first question is, what is your background? And is it a logical background for what you're doing now? Wow, what is the logical background to the crypto? <laughs> Was I... Has it been in cryptography? But uh, let me give you my background anyway. Most of my career I spent working in the city of London with investment banks and other financial institutions doing straddling between technology and finance, providing market data, market risks. So I was a technologist and I was a very hands and gloves with the financial world as well considering I spent a lot of my time in there so crypto when I went into it it wasn't far removed from what I've done before on both sides finance and technology great and what what did you what was that background what, what did you do before you joined crypto so, I, as I said, I worked on, say for instance, for investment banks such as Dresdner Bank, I worked on the market risk area, so providing technical solutions, say for instance, if you have um, technical um, risk quants, what I would do is I create them a tool to do analysis of the risk exposure of the bank through various mathematical formulas being translated into computer program and giving them the tool sets to do scenario analysis and that type of stuff. So technical stuff, mathematical stuff at the same time, finance stuff in computer language, if it makes any sense at all. No, that makes perfect sense and it's a perfect segue into what you're doing in DeFi. So it makes a lot of sense. Actually, a lot of people don't have their experience here in DeFi. They don't have any finance experience, and you do. So um, we're going to dive into that a little bit. So the Pillar Project, right? What's it all about, and what sets you apart? Okay. Um, Pillar Project, if I may, and go back to the start, Pillar Project started in 2017. It was one of the earlier ICOs. And an ICO was a mechanism where one of the earlier mechanisms of raising funds, crowd crowdsourcing funds from people. And as such, Pillar Project was launched. And what we created is a wallet, a Pillar wallet, which by itself, um, at first we wanted it to be where people store their data, financial data, and then they would be able to hold their own data and be able to transact on so many levels. So when I say this, 
now it is normal that we have pricing aggregators from all exchanges, decentralized exchanges being available easily for you. When we first did it, you only you didn't know to have things like Uniswap. Or, or, there was no such a thing as a DEX. Let's put it this way. So we were getting prices from all the centralized exchange and we were doing this aggregation of which we called an offer engine. So the whole idea was for this offer engine, not only to be extended to trading, but for you to be able to buy clothing or a bicycle or anything. That was the grand aim as part of a personal data locker. Then reality set in. Reality meant maybe let's just focus on the this budding DeFi world as well. So we started pulling back from getting data from centralized entities and started focusing on this new budding decentralized entities offering this pricing data. Then as we went along around 2018, we uh, begin late 2018, we decided to use a smart wallet as opposed to a key-based wallet that Etherspot was. Adding a smart wallet, I'll come back to those details later on if we go into account abstraction. And when we created a smart contract-based wallet, then that became two offerings. And as it went along, we separated the smart contract wallet from the wallet app itself, the infrastructure, and we've packaged the infrastructure as Etherspot. Now Etherspot became a, an SDK, which not only the pillar wallet consumes, but we can offer it to any other DAP wallet or any other service. In fact, we are in the process of doing a POC with a major phone company integrating this Etherspot, which is an offshoot of the pillar wallet in terms of having IoT devices connected to this wallet infrastructure. So I'm just giving you a brief history and in a rushed way onto the current status, pillar wallet, pillar, then Etherspot. And how does the Etherspot work? Etherspot is basically the infrastructure side packaged as an SDK. So Etherspot is effectively, at the moment, the pillar wallet is powered by Etherspot. Any DAP that we, that we integrate to give them a smoother transaction or UX for their users, they would integrate Etherspot. In fact, Etherspot is a separate entity that we have created in out of the project we we first it was a, a software product which we packaged separately ultimately we ended up or we are in the process of spinning it off as an entity on its own so you were around during the ico days and, and i was too i was one of the handful of americans who were an ico bench so um you know i remember ico bench yeah yeah uh that was a great experience and it was a different experience than the DeFi experience since DeFi summer a couple of years ago there was like an inflection point where icos died 
you know, and then DeFi came in. And then you had FTX this past summer and yesterday you had Silvergate Bank becoming bankrupt. So how, do you see this as an inflection point? And if so, where do you see the future growth and bringing on those next 100 million people? Because it's not going to be through ICOs or centralized banks. What's it going to be? What do you say? What do you think? Okay, I mean, first, uh, I see cycles, cyclical behaviors, because the ICO time was there weren't any, apart from Bitcoin and Ethereum and a few other cryptos, just there but for being cryptos, there was nothing. There is no oracles, there is no trading, there is no pricing. It was just cryptos for being cryptos. That's what we had during the ICO, and we had a lot of promises and visions. Then, as you said, that halfway through that was replaced by airdrops. Airdrop was the big thing. We don't do ICOs now, we do airdrops. Then, as you said, DeFi summer kicked in after that winter set in, in 2018. Then that peaked. Then again, it kind of died. Then the NFT took it to the next level. Then we said, wow, this must be where the chasm is crossed, uh, cro uh, crossed by the crypto space because you could see non-technologists and a lot of visionaries getting into it and bigger products even being attracted to it then we thought this must be where the chasm is crossed however just let me answer your question by giving a use case imagine you have 200 usdc jamil in in gnosis chain and you said to yourself, oh yeah, I have to my 200 USDC. I know there is this Klimada, which is on Polygon, a carbon offsetting tool. Yeah, I feel like environmental today. So let me go and stake on that Klimada. Then the things that you have to go through to be able to do that is, you have to know that USDC on Gnosis is different to USDC on Polygon. It is like saying the US dollar you get in Kenya is different to the US dollar you get in the Netherlands to the US dollar you would get in the UK. US dollar is US dollar everywhere if someone gives it to you in terms of the currency. It's just you may or may not use it in that jurisdiction. But in the blockchain world, the USDCs are different in the different realms. It means you have to bridge it. So my, my USDC from Gnosis chain has to be bridged to, to the USDC version in Polygon. Then, once I've bridged it, I have to go and find a native token to pay gas on Polygon, because blockchain, you have to pay gas. Then I have to know what that token is called. Oh, well, you might assume, well, the chain is Polygon, so I'm assuming I'm looking for Poly token, and you'll be wrong, it's called Matic. Then, once you get the Matic, then you have to go into a local DEX and get the Klima token. Because you have to swap then your USDC to Klima. Then you would be able to stake. Now, number one, we are expecting you to know all these details. 
you say to your user, yep, you want to use our service, you have to have a PhD and understand every little details of our system. Then on top of that, you know we are decentralized. You have to sign about nine times. Now, to me, this is the crux of the matter. This is where the barrier to adoption comes in. There is no way in hell we're going to get any mass adoption with this type of useless UX that we have. In fact, I bring this to you. When you talk about FTX's collapse, in fact, if you look at this version of the crypto winter, it has been ushered in by centralized players failing one after the other. Centralized players behaving like banks, they look like banks, they behave like banks, but they weren't regulated like banks. And when you see that, the, 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 what that says to me is because our UX sucks, really sucks in Wave 3, we bring all these users and give them a way to centralize players because they're easier, they have a far easier UX, even though they have such an inherent risk within them. So unless we solve this UX, talking about mass adoption, the next 100 million, the next 1 billion users is fantasy. So, you know, go ahead. Yeah, no, I, I will say what will fix it, then that's maybe for a later discussion. Well, I have it in here. I can't hear you. You can't tell me. Okay. No, no, no. I couldn't uh, hear you. I know I couldn't hear you. I can hear you now. Okay. I said it's all my. It's that 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 quite that question you just posed that we're gonna answer was on my question list. So we just 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 address it now. What's gonna okay. fix it? Yeah. I mean, the, the biggest talk has been um, in the past weeks and months and even um, in ETH Denver, which I was in just last week, was account abstraction. Account abstraction is what I kind of touched on earlier on, smart wallet technologies. So to define what account abstraction is, the easiest way I would say, I said, say to a non-techie is smart contract technologies used as a wallet to give users Web2 like UX. When I say users, Web3 users, to give them a Web2 like UX. Things such as when we say to you, oh, um, in crypto, you are your own bank. So you would need your mnemonic phrase 12 words. Please keep them. If you lose them, you are on your own. Don't lose them. And we also tell you, oh yeah, don't worry because we've got a safe way to store your asset. So if you store your asset, get yourself a hardware wallet, we say to you. A hardware wallet is a glorified memory stick, which anyone can snatch away from me and just walk away. Say if I had hundred grand and say, oh yeah, in the bank versus I've got it to my hardware wallet and I've got it in my hand. Yeah, slap me, take it away. That's as simple as. So, the account abstraction helps us fix some of this. <coughs> it gives us the ability to use social logins. 
Yes, social logins bring their own problems because if my social logins account is compromised, the password is compromised, so is my wallet. Then it is possible then I would use this for quick transactions. Say, for instance, the way I, I would use my contactless card with the spending limit on it so that my contactless is less secure than my my cash which is in the bank account because someone can walk past me with a card reader and read it while it is in my pocket but that is the risk I'm willing to take for me going to a bar getting a few drinks for my friends and just tap him walk away I'm willing to take that risk and millions of people have shown that they're willing to take that risk as well the other solution you would have is multiple recovery multiple recovery means you can have multiple devices associated with your account so that you can recover if your wallet is lost you may be able to recover through your machine and or even another person you nominate so there are various ways you can even take it with passkey which is inherent device id which you can connect it with even further two-factor authentication so th there are quite a lot of additional possibilities through smart wallet which is account abstraction and the other thing that an account abstraction solves for you is imagine if you can have one-click transactions earlier on when i mentioned to you with you and your 200 usdc i graphically highlighted steps that you have to do you have to do this you have to know this you have to know that what if i was able to just need to click on one thing that says a business need do this and all the subsequent actions were put together or we could call them batched so that i do not need to know about them when and their implementation details what if there was such a mechanism where I do not need to know about the gas token? The gas token is handled somewhere by some system underneath. And I, as a user, I've got the USDC. You take it out of the USDC and pay for it. Account abstraction allows all this to happen. So the journey I told you with the 200 USDC earlier on, all you would have to click is on a menu choice that says click um, stake on Klima and the bridging is abstracted away. The gas token payment is abstracted away. All you would have to do is just sign a couple of times and as a user, everything else is abstracted. Just as much as when I was in Denver and I was using Uber service the other day, so surprise surprise it didn't ask me oh because you came from the uk and uk you use english pounds can you convert these are the list of exchanges we have to convert your sterling pounds to american dollars this is the bank of america rate this is the what it didn't say that surprise surprise it just did the fx in the background without asking the same level of service so this is how to me we can do the mass adaption angle.
otherwise the same thing i've mentioned as the uber if uber did say that to me this are the exchange i would have just gotten the cash out of the atm and used the local cab service you know i've been a content creator now for a few years mm -hmm. instead of and for my old career i was a technology developer and i had forgotten that everything is step-by-step -step linear you know and and when you're in a use end user, you don't see that. But as a developer, you see that, you know, so mm -hmm. I forgot. So thank you for refreshing my memory. <laughs> you know? uh, um, I want to I want to shift gears a little bit because I want to talk about DAOs. Right. Um, and I want to talk about Web3 and I want to talk about the current role of ethics because it doesn't seem to be any, you know, especially where I am. You know, with a with an SEC that's overstepping its reach every day, you know, with people who are, you know, glorified, but they're the villains who are glorified and the, and the people who are doing the hard work are, are shut are shut out or shut down. I want to know how important ethics is. And then when you take those ethics and apply it to a doubt. That's the thing, ethics on a personal level, ethics on a project level. I mean, elaborate it for me. Well, you know what? Project level and then personal level. Okay. I think both, say for instance, let's say I'm, I'm, I value myself as an ethical person. Then I say, okay, I don't do such and such. And even if I'm going to go bankrupt, I, I won't do such and such. such. Or I may be another person that is dubious about that. It says, heck with everything. I would rather win. So I will do anything to win. But the whole point is, in a decentralized world, should it be the system that is untrusted so that it works in that sense that you prove it in that sense? So look at, say, the decentralized exchange or the marketplaces they take away empathy or someone's moral values out of the equation they just put it on numerical values you have it or you don't and i have seen argument made exactly the opposite way they say this mm, smart contract should not be the arbiters because Common sense could have solved a certain financial situation where the person is delayed by a day and you would have spoken to the bank manager or whoever is the dealer and the system would not have collapsed. But I can follow that and then the next argument would be if the system does not collapse, X amount of people would not lose their jobs and so forth. I can follow that social argument, but at the same time, the moment you have a room for me to convince you to help me out, then that's when we open the room for corruption. So for me, I would rather we remove the ethics, the emotions, the The the, the 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 room for the, for those type of things and leave it on the code level, then we would have 
a mechanism where everyone will be treated the same. Would it be a bit of a robotic world? Potentially. Do we need always on that sense or do we have a bit of both? Maybe we would need a bit of both. But in terms of the decentralized space, I would rather code was low. So that why should my moral value matter when either I have the funds and I'm over collateralized or I haven't? Got it. That makes sense. Um, I want to go beyond code as well, though, right? Um, and I want to ask you how do we gain and manage our own crypto based financial independence? from both a practical perspective and then an idealism perspective? Okay. I mean, from the practical perspective, I'm going to double down on the, the, the usability angle I've mentioned earlier on. If I am competing with, say, a payment mechanism where contactless card is the way where someone just flashes a card against the card reader and walks away with the goods. That is what I'm competing against. So it means the crypto space, we have to innovate more and more to be on that level. So this is when I talk heavily and highly of account abstraction. It's not just because we offer it, but that is the only way we can make it available and accessible to everyone where it is not the business of the user of consumer of a service to understand how the technology works of my service we quite a lot of us drive cars how many of us understand why and how everything hangs together do i care to know how a car works. Never mind, do I know it? So why am I expecting somebody else to study, read and read and read about this crypto, this gas price, this bridging, that bridging? No. So that's the one question. From the second one is from the, the conceptual question, right? Just say the question again one more time. The second one. Sure. From an I from how do we gain and manage crypto based financial independence from an idealism perspective? Because the, the idealism is an important point. For me, the idealism. Okay. Again, let me just give you back another experience we've had. Remember around 2019 we one of our marketing guys it was april the full day they made an announcement pillar is about to be talking taken over by facebook and we expected the community to go angry about it saying facebook is a centralized entity how on earth would you let that happen a surprise the reaction was the complete opposite. Wow, wonderful. So much so when that colleague mentioned this is April the Fool's joke, he had some threats against him. 
Now, <laughs> what that said to me was, from our perspective, self-sovereignty, ownership of your data, control of your data was a big thing for us. But maybe it wasn't necessarily a big thing for everyone. So that highlighted the option. I want to have the option, the choice to go decentralized if I want to go, to go centralized if I want to go. So the financial independence, anyone who, say in the Western world, who has access to a bank, should have the option, if they choose to go, to use a decentralized way. Then I'll qualify it. Quite a lot of the emerging markets, developing nations, they do not have the choice to have a bank. Inclusiveness, and there was a big move in the uh, quite a lot of the talks in 2017 ICO times was banking the unbanked. Still never happened. However, being able to offer that option for someone who may not have the ability to do the KYC documents to qualify for a credit card, whichever way you look at it, credit card companies are dominated by a few networks around the world. So why should I go through hoops to satisfy those companies and their whatever rating firms? What if I have the ability to be able to offer my services? Let's say I'm a damn good graphics designer in some small country in this world. What if I show my ability to people and they can just contract me for a couple of hours a day for one week? And I give them something and they pay me in some, say, stable coin, which then I can buy some iTunes or whatever, an online service I can buy or an online book whatever I can buy so that I can better myself. And so the option for some section of society and the really the choice to be able to participate in the global economy for some other parts of the world. I don't know whether I've answered your question here. You have, and you actually enabled me to, to ask a follow-up too. I do remember back to 2019, and we we in the crypto community were celebrating the fact that institutions were now arriving. But then those institutions, it turned out that they didn't want us retailers there, and they still don't, right? So how do you how do you get retail back interested? You know, after these bear market turns. Um, with institutions trying to push us out instead of working collaboratively together to build the you know web3 economy i mean the, 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 there is always this paradox that we will have you do a startup you do an investment 
if you need an investment, you get invested by organized entities. Maybe you start off with family, angels, VCs. Then how much control do I have of that company and how much of the narrative do I control? How much of the roadmap do I control? And don't forget, whoever puts in money wants to make money in general. So if there is a viability of me being able to access 300 million people from some parts of the world and I can generate revenue and economical engagement with these people, then I would be able to sell that dream. Then now, would it be me being from the way uh, being sat somewhere in the UK who can think of these frictions that they have in a specific nation or in a specific part of the world? Not necessarily. That's what Web3 does. It, it tries to bring in people from all parts of the world in getting involved in there. Yes, the, my biggest gripe was with crypto being going the same way, exclusive way, was when mainnet Ethereum was the only way to go, and when gas price was $10, $15, and when I say, okay, the, um, in some of the, the developing nations, per capita income is $800 per year. So you think a person is going to pay $10 of that $800 per year to pay for gas price? It ain't going to happen. So even still asking someone to pay a gas price of one cent is a lot. If I'm on $800 a year, that one cent is probably is quite a lot of money for, for in any given day because I only have less than $3 a day. So if I have less than $3 a day, that's 300 cents. So that one of the 300 cents means a lot, and I would rather not waste it paying for gas. So, but bit by bit, at some point, we will be more inclusive, and hopefully, then this will be where we will do these innovations. And I think the NFT boom has shown had shown us a little bit how energized various communities were, communities, non-tech communities, art-based communities, etc. Yes, quite a lot of it has gone down now, but it was a slight glimpse of what potentially can happen. Maybe the next cycle where people would learn, just as people learned from the ICO times and innovated both their business processes, their thinkings, as well as the technology, the same way I would hope would be done, whether it's on the NFT level, things that aren't necessarily technology specific, so that they will bring in people from other walks of life. I agree, and that sounds great to me, and I'm looking forward to seeing it. So thank you. Um, and I, and I want to thank I want to thank you very much for your time today. This has been an amazing conversation. Thank you very much. It's I enjoy talking to you. And I have one last question, and that's an easy one. It's uh, how can people people find more information about you and about the Pillar Project, about what you guys are up to? How can they do that? 
Yeah, um, with me, people can find me on um, Twitter, MMM319. So that's my Twitter handle. Pillar is Pillar Wallet, and Ethersport, which brings account abstraction, is at Ethersport. Because I say, I stress this again, with the account abstraction, in terms of Ethersport, for argument's sake, we support about 14 EVM chains. So the whole idea is if I have any DeFi service listing any deal, it should just be one option just listed. And as a user, I should just click without having a care in the world which blockchain it is hosted on. Whatever funds I have on which EVM chain I have the funds on, it should just go out and be invested in according to my choice. So that's why I wanted to highlight Ethersport. So just go to ethersport.io. If you are, are a developer, especially someone who's going to dap and who wants to benefit from UX improvements to bring in more users from all chains, just go to ethersport.io. E-T-H-E-R-S-P-O-T. Thank you very much for your time today. Thank you so much.